Hello and welcome to episode number 241 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. With me today are author Kathy Pagau and author and writer Carrie Cicerigo. We are going to talk about, well, a lot of things, to be honest with you. Kathy Pagau writes lesbian science fiction and historical mysteries. She also lives in Cordova, Alaska. So we talk about living in Alaska, as Carrie lived for several years in Bethel. We talk about the Alaskans' love of the Anchorage Costco, and we ask very important, crucial questions like, can you go to Target or Costco for just one thing? And also, what is the plural of Pegasus? We also cover life in Alaska, weird questions from people who live outside, which is the Alaskan term for the lower 48, what life is like in very rural small towns, and the strong feelings they have about what constitutes good boots. We talk about the romance of running water and, of course, Kathy's series, which has truly gorgeous covers. Now, I have a couple of important notes. First, oh, my voice. I apologize in advance. I was battling a cold, and as I was listening to this to edit it, I was like, wow, I should not have been talking. So I apologize in advance for the quality or lack thereof of my voice during this interview. Number two, if you are building a podcast drinking game, this episode does include my dog Zeb losing his little doggy mind at a squirrel. So I guess that's worth a couple of points at least. I want to issue a very mild trigger warning. There is a very brief discussion of mental illness and neglect and a brief discussion of the historical murder of a prostitute and her child, which inspired Kathy's series. There's nothing particularly graphic, but if that is going to upset you, when we start talking about the inspiration of her series, you might want to skip ahead. And speaking of her series, as I record this on Monday, April 3rd, 2017, Kathy's first book in her series, Murder on the Last Frontier, is $1.99 digitally, and I am hoping when this episode drops on Friday, it will still be on sale. It would be really awesome if that were true. So I'm crossing my fingers and sending many, many polite requests to the ebook sale goddesses that this will still be on sale so you can go try it out. Carrie loves this series. And speaking of series that we love, I need to tell you that this episode is brought to you by... The Unyielding by Shelley Laurenston and by Kensington Books. New York Times and USA Today bestselling author Shelley Laurenston capitalizes on her trademark humor and kick-ass attitude in The Unyielding, which is the third installment of the Call of Crows series, which features a band of tough-as-nails female warriors resurrected from the dead and the alpha males who aren't afraid to give them a taste of their own medicine. As usatoday.com puts it, Laurenston has a gift with words and humor. So answer the call. The Sisterhood of Crows is waiting for you in The Unyielding by Shelley Laurenston. On sale now wherever books are sold and on kensingtonbooks.com. And if you saw my review, you know I like this series a lot and recommend it most vociferously. We also have a transcript sponsor this month. The transcript for this episode is being brought to you by The Romance Reader's Guide to Life, a new book from Flatiron Books by author Sharon Pywell. As a young girl, Neve was often stuck in a world that didn't know what to do with her. Her small town home of Lynn, Massachusetts didn't have a place for a girl whose feelings often put her at war with the world, and often this meant her mother, her brother, and the town librarian wanted to keep her away from dangerous books she really wanted to read. But through an unexpected friendship, Nave finds herself with a forbidden copy of The Pirate Lover, a steamy romance, and Neve discovers a world of passion, love, and betrayal. And it is to this world that as a grown-up she retreats to again and again when real life becomes too much. When Neve and her older sister Lily are about to realize their professional dream, 
Lily suddenly disappears. Nave must put her beloved books down and take center stage, something she has been running from her entire life. She must figure out what happened to Lily and if she's next. The Romance Reader's Guide to Life is a story within a story within a story. There's a pirate romance, a powerful bond between two sisters, and a world determined to hold them back. The Romance Reader's Guide to Life is one of the most original, entertaining, exciting, and chilling novels you will read this year. It is available now wherever books are sold. The music you are listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. I will have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is. And as always, you will be able to find links to the books and other things we talk about in this episode at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast and at itunes.com slash dbsa. We have our own dedicated iTunes page. It's really cool. This episode has a lot of different things going on, and it was a really fun conversation. So let's get started without any further delay. On with the podcast. Okay, uh, my name's Kathy Pega, and I'm uh, sitting here in snowy Cordova, Alaska right now. Huh. I've been saying your name wrong, and I've been saying That's Carrie's right. last name wrong, so I'm super proud of me. <laughs> How do you say your last name, Carrie? Cesarago. Cesarago, okay. Yes. How, how have you been pronouncing my name, Sarah? Pagao. Close enough. Yeah, that's okay. Pagao, yeah. Pagao. It's actually, yeah, it's German. We're also very uh, often misspelled. I mean, it's five letters and we get pagan a lot. Oh, um, yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. We're totally pagan. Pegasus. That's a good one, too. Yeah. You're only two S's away from Pegasus. Yeah, that's kind of cool. It is. Are you going to write fantasy be my, you know, Well, I do write fantasy, actually. That's or true. Did. You do. I but do. I don't remember any Pegasuses, Pegasi. No, Pegasi. Yeah, I don't know what the uh, plural of that would be. <laughs> yeah, it should be like my Patronus, right? The totally. Yeah. All right. Nice. Carrie, would you introduce yourself, please, ma'am? Hi, I am Carrie Cicerigo, Carrie S. on Smart Pictures Trashy Books. And I am the author of Pride, Prejudice, and Popcorn. And I am the. The geek reviewer for Smart Bitches. Yes, we are all nerds and geeks in various directions. Yay! Yes. I, I'm also kind of enjoying the fact that this is like the podcast of ailing people because <laughs> yes. I am on day two of a migraine and Sarah is sick. And when I wandered out of the room, I came back and you guys were discussing arterial bleeding. So, um, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all good. We're all good. Everybody, like, pull up your lemon, cups of lemon tea and join us. Oh, yeah. Don't forget the yeah. tea and the cookies. Cookies are a requirement. So Carrie is a yeah. fan of yours, Kathy, as am I. I am. Thank you very much. I'm fans of yours, too, so that works out really well. So while we're all sick, geekly, and um, fangirling, I wanted to start by asking you both about Alaska. Um, because Kathy, you live in Alaska and Carrie, yes, you're always telling us stories about, well, when I lived in Alaska and I, you know, I built my own yurt and killed a moose <laughs> with the back end of a bear. Okay. I've I, never built a yurt. <laughs> I just like just to say it. the word yurt. <laughs> yeah, no, I never built a yurt. I also feel like in full disclosure, I should confess that the last time I was in Alaska was 20 years ago. Okay. So it's been a long time. I was there for five years, 
And I was in Bethel, which is like a special category of Oh, oh that's okay. Let me tell you, when we were moving back here, we were in Oregon for a while. When we were moving back here, my husband was like, well, where do we want to go? I said, not no, and he said, okay, not fall. So those were the only two places that were on our, yeah, no, list. Well, like, I, I loved living in Bethel, but Bethel is yeah. definitely, like, a special category of Alaska. And then yeah. to confuse things, because I've been gone so long without even a visit, it's, like, frozen in my mind, like, Brigadoon. <laughs> And and actually, I, I check it out on Facebook. Like, things have progressed in Bethel. Life continues to happen in Bethel in my absence. But I have it, like, frozen, like, in a crystal ball, the, the 20 years ago Bethel. As though if I went back, everyone would be the same age, right? Like, nobody's age, nobody's had kids in 20 years, or, you know, they're still, apartment yeah. would still be there, like, you know, it's, it's so, yeah, so my, my, my memories of Alaska are, are, are not necessarily representative of its current state. But, but to, you know, to a degree, things move slowly up here, so you could be pretty darn close, actually, it could be close to what you remember from 20 years ago. And the only reason why I, I nixed Gnome and he nixed Bethel was that access is horrible <laughs> as far as getting in and out. It's bad oh enough here, but yeah, if you're traveling, it is brutal. And I was like, I yeah, we got little kids now. When I lived in Bethel, I had a friend who um, lived in Morocco and he was doing Peace Corps in Morocco. And so one year I realized that it only costs slightly more to get from <laughs> Bethel to Morocco than to get from Bethel to Sacramento, California, where my family was. Yeah. So, yeah. So, like, I did a trip, and then, like, my flight itinerary got all screwed up, and it was actually, like, this really bizarre trip, but it was also really cool. But um, it was, like, the kind of adventure that you only have in your 20s, I must say. But, but like, that just blew my mind, like, to get from Bethel to another entire other, you know, continent was you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and well, time wise. It's right. I mean, nuts. you know, yeah. And then, you know, and of course with Bethel, you're always going through Anchorage. That's the deal is going through Anchorage. With everything just about, well, not from here, actually, we can get to Seattle without going through Anchorage, but that's, you know, it still takes forever and costs yeah. an arm and a leg. And, you know, so anyway. Now in Cordova, if you visit Anchorage, do you still have the same thing? Like when we went to Bethel, you know, that, I mean, when, sorry, when I lived in Bethel and we would go to Anchorage, Anchorage is known in the States for having beautiful mountains and moose and glaciers. But in Bethel, Anchorage is known for having a Costco. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, Anchorage, yes. Yeah. So, if you know, when I flew home from Anchorage, and by home I mean to Bethel, like one year, my carry-on luggage was a big container of kitty litter and a giant container of like toilet paper. Yeah. And no second glance, because everybody had the same kinds of stuff. Like, uh -huh. did, so uh -huh. is that like part of the Cordova way, or not so much? It is. It is. We're lucky. We have um, we have ferry access, so we don't oh. have to just fly, which is lovely. Uh, unfortunately, if the planes are not flying or the ferry breaks, we're kind of screwed. But yeah. yeah, oh, the Costco run, it, we go, we try to go every three or four months and do a big run. My husband fills the back of uh, his pickup truck and the back seat of his pickup truck. And yeah, go do a big Costco run. I send him with a huge list. And But if he's flying, sometimes he'll, he will fly back with uh, a 50 pound, because it's a 50 pound weight limit. 
he'll fly, fly back sometimes if we're desperate with a 50 pound bag of dog food or something oh, yeah. like that. Yeah. Priorities, yeah. man. So, it is, you know, the dog's going to eat. <laughs> well, yeah. our Costco is less than a mile away. Like I've gone to Costco for just one thing. I see that and because we'll go in. Yeah, I see that. I see people walking out with a gallon of milk. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> well, the day I did that, I went to customer service because my card still said that I lived in New Jersey and um, it had expired. And so I had to get like a whole new card and a new picture and everything. And he's like, all right, so go shopping. And I'm like, honestly, sir, I'm only here for one thing. And the whole customer service bank of employees looked at me and were like, okay, <laughs> go ahead. We're watching you. We want to see you walk out of here with just one thing. One thing. And it's it's attached to a shopping mall. Like it's, a reg- it's attached to a mall, like a regular uh-huh. mall. There's also a Target. So it's like a dual end matrix of danger. So oh, yeah. Target Absolutely. at one end and Costco at the other. And you can't really go into those places and only get one thing. It's one really thing. difficult. What do you think? <laughs> I always feel like if I really want to put my daughter through college, like, loan free, what I should do is every time I drive past a Target, I should take a $20 bill and stick it in a jar. Instead <laughs> <laughs> of going in. <laughs> that is the minimum that I will spend if I walk inside the door, right? Like, right. the minimum. <laughs> so, Kathy... Your husband yeah. and you decided we're not going to Nome and we're not going to Bethel. So how did you end up in Cordova? Well, we um, – You really actually, like fish. That's it, right? You really... We like fish. Thank God. <laughs> that is what my freezer is full of right now. And after a while, you're going, all right, yeah, salmon again. That's great. Now what do I do with it? Oh, no. Um, we, we would never yeah. say that because when my husband I used know, to go to I Alaska know. for 36 hours at his old job, which was really weird, yeah. but he totally did it. Um, right. He would be done at 9 a.m. So he'd go to one of those places where they just caught the fish like 12 minutes before. And then they would flash freeze it and mail it to us. So he would oh, beat yeah. it because he was flying on a commercial jet. But he would get home and then the next day we'd have like this massive box of fish. <laughs> My husband, We have a uh, river not too far from us, obviously. Um, but um, yeah, my husband would go fishing in the morning before he goes to work for a couple hours and pull up three silver salmon and drop them off on his way into work and go, can you freeze these up for us? All right, sure. So, yeah. Do you have to uh, you clean get a them or do you just sort of check them? He them cleans them. He oh, cleans them. Bless Thank him. God. He <laughs> cleans them and he fillets them usually and uh, or at least cuts. And he'll just bring them in in like a plastic, clean plastic garbage bag and like hand them to me or I love put them you, in the fridge. Here's I love some you. Here you go. <laughs> We're having dinner. Uh, but um, I forgot what the question was. How did yeah, you end uh, up in Cordova? Why did we get to Cordova? <laughs> So we actually met in Fairbanks way, 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 way back in the day going to school together in Fairbanks and um, got married later on. And Scott was actually, that's my husband's name, Scott was um, basically raised up here, raised in Nome and a, a couple of other places from the time he was five years old. And he's always considered Alaska home. So when we were down, he was doing grad school down in Oregon when we got married. Uh, had our first kid, or had our kids down there, both of them actually. And then when he was looking for a job, uh, wanted to go back up to Alaska. I'm like, sure, let's go. And we moved to Homer first, which Whoa. is on the road, at the end of the road. And we were there for five years. And then uh, the job that he had was changing in ways he wasn't too keen on. So he was looking for a new job. And this one here in Cordova opened. And we went, sure, let's go. <laughs> so here we are. So I think a lot of people in the uh, the outside, as you like to call us down here in the lower 48, 
And I know, Carrie, you've talked about this too, that people from the outside have some crazy ass conceptions of what it's like to live in Alaska and that there you get some ridiculous questions. So I wanted to ask you both. Even with your flash frozen twenty year old memories, flash frozen like a fresh salmon, Carrie. <laughs> like fresh ish, yeah. Fresh ish fresh fresh eek salmon. Um, what are some of the things that are unique and interesting about living in Alaska that people don't know about? And what are the questions that you're so tired of answering? <laughs> oh my God. Is it well when I when I was there, northern exposure was had just wrapped up, I think, or was just about to wrap up that TV show. Right. So everybody in Bethel was sick of being asked if it was like Northern Exposure. <laughs> and and in Northern Exposure, they're constantly driving to Juno. And and we're just like, <laughs> you can't drive. Like, like I swear to God. Like, drive like, to Juno. <laughs> on the tombstone of everybody in Bethel, you can't drive to Juno. We said it you, so many times. You can't get there from here like that. That's no. not how it works. Although, in hindsight, I realized there were some things that were kind of northern exposure-ish. Like, we have a, we had a radio station. They still have it, uh, KYUK. Mm-hmm. And anybody could DJ on KYUK. I used to oh. DJ. My friends all used to DJ. We used to DJ <laughs> together and have dance parties in the studio. And it was, like, super, super fun. So we didn't have, like, one charismatic DJ like they have in Northern Exposure, but it kind of had that same feel. And you could just not DJ and just chat into the mic for like an hour if you felt like nice. it. That would be fun. But you had to read the weather, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Periodically stop for the weather. And and the news and then the messages, because this because when I was there, and it exists still, I'm sure, in a happy little snow globe somewhere, um, there wasn't, like, internet had, like, just started. Oh, yeah, so, and everything was through messages through the radio. You called every, to the radio to get right. messages to folks. Dear Mary from Joe in Kilkiak, <laughs> please come home. The babies need diapers. Yep. <laughs> Things like, Dear yeah. Pop, we are going to fish camp back one week if fishing good. You know, like, like you, so you, like, relay all these things. Yeah, and Tund- kind of, Tundra Drums, they called it, when, when I was in Rome. Yes. Tundra Drums, yeah. Yeah, but, but no, you could not drive to Juno. No, no, you can't drive. You can't drive to Bethel either, actually. You can't drive to Bethel. Well, you can in the winter from some in of the beaches, but that's it. Right, right. Not from anywhere else. And technically, you can't drive to Cordova now. We, we take the marine highway. Marine Highway. So, the Marine Highway, the ferry system is on the Marine Highway. So technically, you can get your car over here. But uh, yeah, people think we live on an island because I tell them we can only fly or boat in. But we're not on an island. We're just not connected to the interior anymore. Used to be. Not anymore. Yeah. I, what I, did I, you do, Kathy? What did I do? Yes. Did you break it? <laughs> I broke it. This broke was the it. source in, of your next dystopian in, series. You broke the highway. You know, you want to hear something? I was actually writing a dystopian uh, story, a post-apocalyptic story set in Alaska when this uh, this series, this historical series came up. So, yeah, I was actually researching for that. And I was looking into the railroad and the history of the area and all that kind of stuff. So, Whoa. Yeah. yeah. It, weird, huh? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but back to the, uh, the tour. Yeah, we get, we get um, how do you get from there to hear and um oh when i was talking to um my publisher 
recently. They needed to FedEx stuff to me. And I'm like, no, don't FedEx stuff to me. We don't get FedEx. She's like, what are you talking about? Everybody gets FedEx. No, not, not here. <laughs> not, you know, you know, no. But they say, I know what they say. No, they don't get FedEx. To it goes to Anchorage and it sits until the bin at the post office is full enough for Cordova and they send it over that way. So it could By be boat. a week. It could be six months. It six could be weeks. Yeah. yeah. Usually it's about somewhere between, sometimes you get it like in three days, which is amazing. So if the bin is full and, but it can take six weeks to get a FedEx package from like, yeah, you're paying expedited service and I'm not getting it. Trust me. But um, yeah, so that's, transportation is mostly an access to things and price of things is what I think most people outside are stunned by. And uh, yeah, we're paying, I'm paying almost $6 a gallon for milk. I'm paying four to $5 a loaf of bread, nice bread, good bread, you know, decent yeah. bread, that kind of thing that it throws them off when we go. Yeah. Oh yeah. Fuel. Oh good. Your fuel's under $2. Mine just dropped under four. Nice. Wow. So, yeah, so that's the, the the illusion. It's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I love living out here. It's gorgeous, but there's definitely some things that you have to consider, and it it kind of stuns people when <laughs> you go, "Oh yeah." It's fascinating to me because I only visited for like four days. Like I said in our email, um, mm -hmm. I was completely blown away by it. But I'm always blown away when I go to a place that is so different looking. Everything that I'm looking at is so different from what I'm used to having grown up in the Northeast. And I right. remind myself, this is the same country. This is the same yeah. country. This is this is also America. Holy shit. This is <laughs> yeah. I did the same thing in Tucson. I was like, okay, I can't breathe through my nose because I have no moisture left in my body now, but I'm still <laughs> amazed. This is incredible. But there's also a lack of pretense and bullshit when the land is actively trying to kill you. That, yeah, yeah, you get very practical very quickly, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you take care of people even if you would like to run them over when the weather is better. Yes. I And I notice, especially here where, where we are cut off, we have a very good um, – uh, emergency services for our local, for our area. And it is, it's a matter of the community pulling together when things go wrong. When, if somebody is sick, there will be a spaghetti feed to make up, you know, to bring up some money for them for medical expenses. Uh, not too long ago, or a few years ago, uh, one of our neighbors lost their house on a fire. Everybody comes out to help with that. Not to, not to put out the fire, but to get their, you know, get their um, household back together and get them stuff and replace things. And because you're not going to get a timely um, aid from anybody else. <laughs> so you better be able to, even if you don't like your neighbor, boy, you, you know, you can rely on them when, when push comes to shove, which is a nice thing. It it's, gives you some sort of comfort <laughs> that you're not totally alone out here, you know, getting, getting screwed by the land, as it were. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot less pretense when you have to work with people who you otherwise can't stand to keep each other from being killed by everything else. <laughs> everything else, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's it's difficult sometimes. I mean, you get into some, and people up here, you know, well, anywhere, um, some heated discussions on very strong opinions of, about things, but... You know, in the end, it's like we are a community and we will do for each other. So it's good. I like that. that's one of the definitely one of the positives 
of being out here. It's a good place to see what people are made of, actually, and not be, oh, can you live off the land, but are you going to help your neighbor? Are you going to be there for each other? And yeah, mostly the answer is yes. Was that similar to your experience too, Carrie? Well, my experience was kind of odd because I was always working in some kind of social services. So it's like on the one hand, I would see the very best in people. And on the other hand, I would see the very worst in people. Right. But, um, and also Bethel, when I was there was, had a lot of racial issues where you had a, a white population, you had a Yupik population, and then you had a Korean population. And those three populations had sort of a, 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 almost like lived almost separately in the same town. And yet at the same time, we were like all like completely intertwined. It's kind of hard to describe. So I was dealing a lot with like really tough social issues. I worked in the jail and I worked in a women's shelter and I worked in a, a group home very briefly. I was terrible at it um, with adults who had um, mental disabilities. And a lot of them were caused by things like meningitis. Oh, um, wow. Right. Like things that had just not been treated. So on the one hand, I saw like some stuff where people had been either individually or systemically cruel to each other. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I also saw like the best parts of that community. Like, for instance, um, the women's shelter where I worked, we had it wasn't a secret location. So when I came to Sacramento and I was like, oh, maybe I should get involved with the women's shelter. Well, we have a, a, a huge domestic violence activist group here that runs a women's shelter and all different kinds of services. It's called Weave and they're wonderful. But they don't have like a big building where they take people in and everyone knows where that is. Who would right, do that? Right. That would be crazy. You hide people. But you can't hide anybody in a town of 5,000 people. So everybody right. knew where the women's shelter was. And in, in some of the villages, they had smaller shelters and they didn't lock their doors because nobody locked their doors. You nope, did not. Nope. Lock we did lock our doors, but we also hosted big community events where we would open the doors and you'd have like big potlucks and everything, right. you know. So I think where I saw more of that was the sense that even in a community that was beset by a lot of pretty intense problems, there was still an underlying feeling that you don't lock your door. Mm-hmm. And if you wake up and a drunk guy is sleeping on your couch, you don't freak out you just know he like wandered in and fell asleep on your couch yeah yeah because sometimes that would happen that never happened to me but it was not an uncommon occurrence for people that just you know and then you're like glad that they didn't freeze to death and you pour some coffee down them and you send them home right throw a blanket on them for now and then yeah exactly you know there's a certain underlying trust even in a really tough place where you know trust can be really challenged yeah yes and it was a huge shock to me when I came from that setting and I went straight to social welfare school in Berkeley, which, of course, is a huge city. And they're doing safety rules and they're like, well, don't share personal information and don't tell anybody where you live. And I'm like, dude, none of this makes sense in a rural setting like at all. In a rural setting, you have to go work in the jail and then go home knowing that you're going to see your clients next week when they're out on bail at the grocery store. Because yep. we're all, we just all live together and you just have to let go of a certain amount of protectiveness that we have in the city. 
Right. And I don't know how true that is in other rural communities, but I suspect it's pretty true. I suspect that the like a degree of separation just isn't possible. Yeah, it, it it it's not. You know, like you're saying, you know, you see the person in the jail or at the clinic or at whatever, and then the next day they're, you know, you're talking to them because they're staffing the school or something like that. So yeah, you do. You kind of just yeah. all right. That's that's little compartmentalized. That's that situation. This is this situation in a way. And um yeah, you Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows where everybody lives and you know, or, or knows somebody. It's very not even six degrees of separation. That's for sure. So even even with geographical isolation, there is a, an overwhelming amount of intimacy that you can't oh, yeah. get away from. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. no. And then you have to um, – um, we're kind of new in town. So it's, all right, who's related to who? Who's oh, yeah. dating who? Who's – lived with or been married to who and how many times have they swapped back and forth because you don't want to insult anybody or make them upset what name do i not mention to you exactly who are you with and what's going to make you unhappy but there's always one or two uh, go-to folks who've been here long enough Uh, i I also uh, help the ups driver sometimes (laughs) yeah i do and so i get to know a lot of people at least where they live and there's a couple of folks that I can go to who have been here long enough. I'm like, I'm looking for so-and-so. Well, they lived with so-and-so for, but I think they broke up. So don't go there. <laughs> when, I, when I lived in Bethel, I had multiple cases that were like that. When my, when my father died, um, my aunt tried to call me and um, my phone wasn't, my answering machine wasn't working. So she couldn't get through. She couldn't leave a message. And at my family was kind of in a panic. How are they going to get a hold of me? And finally, my uncle said, look, call the police department number. Yep. Because there's only 5,000 people there. So somebody will know her. And mm-hmm. sure enough, they called. And, I know, Officer Terry was like, oh, yeah, I know her. I'll go over to her house and see if she's there. And if she's not there, I know where else to look for her. And, and we'll find her. And then my other favorite rumor story is that um, – my husband and I used to walk a block to work together and then we get to this corner and he'd go left and I go right. So I leave the house and one day I got ready before he did and he likes to run and I like to walk very, very slowly. So I said, well, I'm going to go ahead and get started. You catch up. So I walk out of my house and I walked like a little bit and I tripped, which happened all the time because we had frozen mud streets. Yeah. So they were, yeah. And I tripped and I fell down. Boom. And I got up. And I start walking again. And Glenn runs up to me and he says, are you okay? You fell. And I said, oh, did you see me? And he said, no, someone told me. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, it just happened. He's like, (laughs) you know that Miranda Lambert song, Everybody's Kind of Famous in a Small Town? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that was very Bethel. We were all famous for something. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And the same thing here. You know, there's only 2,500 people here during the winter. Not even, I don't think. Um, So you really do know everybody. You know everybody. And I got a little nervous when I first, when we first got here, my kids were uh, seven and 10. And I'd see kids younger than that walking through town. There's only two blocks in town. I mean, you know, there's not a lot, but kids younger than that walking or about that age themselves no parent around i'm like what i grew up in new york you don't leave your you don't let your kids wander the street but then i realized oh everybody's looking out for each other really especially the kids they're keeping an eyeball on your kids and before if your kid does something 
or you do something or somebody will know about it before you hit your front door. So and five (laughs) people will have told you. Yep. Yep. Like, yeah. Oh, you weren't at the library. Like you said, you were going to be at the library. Where did you go? Uh... Now I have a, I have a bit of a strange question for you both. Um, have you guys ever read a book that really captured what your life was like in small town Alaska? I read one. And so when I'm listening to your stories, I'm like, this reminds me of this book. Um, it's called If You Lived Here, I'd Know Your Name. Oh, by um, Heather Lindy. Heather Lindy, yeah. yeah she lives I haven't in... read it, but yeah, she lived down in Haynes. Yeah, or and lived... she, she was the uh, obituary writer, which means that she mm-hmm. literally knew everyone's business. Uh-huh. But just listening to your stories, I mean, have you ever read a book that was like, yeah, that pretty much got it right? Or do you read books and, and think, have you ever been here ever in your life? You know, it's mostly the latter. <laughs> I, I read books about Alaska, unless they're by Alaskans. I read books about Alaska with a huge grain of salt because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> So what they they walked from Fairbanks to Anchorage in like two hours, yeah, something like that, or uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's it. I'm jaded that way, and I try to avoid them. Actually, I would read uh, Heather's book if I remember to to get it. There, um, yeah, there's some of them that yeah, okay, I can trust that person because they've I know they've been there and done that. Heather, for again, uh, had a column in the in the paper that I'd read. Uh, semi-regularly so all right this this woman knows what she's talking about but there are people oh let's set the story in alaska and i'm like "Mm." (laughs) it's no it's just not gonna work no no please don't do that (laughs) so i think it's funny i think i i receive irate email from readers who are from different parts of the country and they're like, I just, I just have to complain. Cause I know you'll understand. This is like 90% of my inbox. I have to complain. I know you'll understand. Alicia. Oh, there you are. Oh yeah. So no matter where you are geographically, um, if you don't get the inherent details, right, there's going to be a reader who's like, what are you smoking? Like, no way exactly. is that happening. Yeah. There's yeah. no way there's going to be a blizzard in October <laughs> in New York. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's still that's still tights and good boots season. You don't wear the good boots in the snow. It's going to be full of salt and chemicals, and you'll ruin your boots. Good boot season. Yeah. Do you have good boot season, I, Kathy? Um, you just July. Have... July is good boot season. Well, then you use the boot for killing the mosquitoes as big as your house. You know, if they don't carry off first, yeah, yeah. I had these I, crazy bunny boots, and they. They were like astronaut boots. They were, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. I'm having a moment about how much I miss my boots. <laughs> when I when I left, there was a, there, I went there as a VISTA volunteer, and a lot of people came to Bethel as VISTA volunteers. A lot of the non-Native people um, came to Bethel as VISTA volunteers and stayed. And so there was a really nice legacy where if you came there as a volunteer, there were people who would take care of you because they were part of a long chain of people who came as volunteers. So all of my cold weather gear I got from people who had lived there already. And then when I left, I left all my stuff, you know, with the new batch of volunteers. And I really miss it because sometimes we go to the snow and I'm like, oh, I really miss my parka. <sighs> It's good stuff. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, memories. 
I would be lost without my extra tops because um, they're good in the rain. They're good in the winter. You know, if I've got thick enough socks. So yeah, I understand completely. So, yeah. yeah. But th- those are definitely not my good boots. <laughs> those, <laughs> those only get worn to school when I can get from the car to the school and back again without going through a lot of wet. <laughs> so. I suspect that when Sarah says good boots and I say good boots, we might not be talking totally about totally different things. Yeah. The same yeah. thing. Yeah. Mine were bright orange and yeah. <laughs> came up to like halfway up my thighs and yeah yeah there you go <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, the only way, it's very wet around here <laughs> so, yeah good boots mean your feet are dry and warm that's all that oh, yeah. <laughs> no no skidding on the you know no skid on the bottom some kind of grippy kind of thing on the bottom is good too yes those are good boots i also want to ask about your books because that's the other thing we wanted to talk to talk oh, about okay. aside from alaska um but I also realized that I forgot to give you some space, Carrie, to ask questions, and I apologize for that. Do you have any questions you want to ask? This is not a question, but every time I read something by Kathy or I read a tweet by her or whatever, all I can think about is pilot bread and jam. What is up with that? <laughs> I, That's an I, intense I, food. I might, I might need to out. change my avatar for you. <laughs> my gosh. It's just, it's yeah, I miss... Bethel food, which is weird because Bethel food was disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what People Bethel will send you so much hate mail. Um, oh. There are things that I've read that remind me of my experience in Alaska that are written by people from Alaska. And there's also stuff that reminds me a little bit of my experience. It just has to do with small town life. Like, you know, that Miranda Lambert song isn't about Alaska, but that kind of social dynamic. But one of the confusions about Alaska, I think, is that there's not really one single Alaska. So Cordova, Bethel, and Anchorage are three different locations in Alaska that might as well be on different planets. And Pretty much. And then if you live in Bethel, you're working with all these different outlying villages. And each village is unrecognizable to people from mainstream America as part of America. Okay, these people have like, you'll have a big satellite dish, but you pee in a bucket and you put it out, <laughs> freeze, and then it gets this picked is true. up. Right? Okay. Wait, you're wait, bucket hold. guy, yep. So wait, the, the, your frozen pee gets picked up? Yeah. yeah, it's a honey bucket. You pee in the bucket and either it gets picked up or you have a system where you can take it somewhere. Because you don't, have, you don't have sewer. You don't have sewer in the and village. you don't have a septic fact, tank or anything like that. You didn't have sewer in a lot of Bethel when I was there. Right. That's so someone's job is like, to come pick up the pee bucket? Uh-huh. Yeah. Where you did they put, put it? it? We had cloth diapers when my younger sister was born, and we're six years apart, so I was old enough to remember the hot, stanky bag of diapers oh, waiting on the porch. <laughs> I am I am aghast at the idea of a pee bucket, although frozen things don't smell. Where well, do you put the frozen pee? Is the, on your porch. And then where does the person who picks it up put it? Is this what pilot bread is? This is, pi- this is what pilot bread is, isn't it? They town and they dump it. Like Soylent Green. <laughs> All around Bethel, there's nothing. Okay? There's there's just, there's just, you, it's so hard to describe. If you, it's if a lot you, of nothing. Just nothing that. and pee. And you stand at your house. Remember when poor Sarah Palin, who I'm not a fan of, you know, there was that whole joke about she could see Russia from her house. Well, yeah. in Bethel, you you kind of almost can because 
You're the horizon's so flat. You're just an extinction of Siberia. You're really close to Siberia, and you're the same tundra ecosystem as Siberia. Yep. Okay, yep. so Bethel is totally different in landscape, in geography, in culture, in how it looks mm -hmm. than Anchorage. Yeah. And if you live in Bethel, you have to be able to also work with these villages where there might be 100 people in a village and they're coming in and out of Bethel to get services because they don't have any services in their village and in their village their life is totally different and I would go to the villages and the kids would 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 all come up and they would pat me and touch me and go little woman they loved it that I was short because a lot of the native uh, a lot of the Yupik people are pretty short and they go little woman little woman um I mean it's it's a totally different world than Anchorage so if right. I see something, if I read something about Cordoba, it doesn't feel like my experience in Bethel, not because it's written wrong, but because people don't understand how big Alaska is and how diverse it is in terms of experience. And, and, and I know in my, uh, for a fact that when I just talk about Bethel, people aren't picturing Bethel. They're picturing no. mountains, they're picturing glaciers, they're not picturing nothing but tundra. Right. You know, you're in the middle of an enormous forest, except all the trees are about four inches tall. <laughs> yes, that's, that's, yeah, there you right. go, that's the tundra. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It, Nothing grows taller than your knee. Unless <laughs> you make a stack of yeah. pea, frozen yeah. pea nuggets. Frozen pea things, you can do that. Oh, right. And it only lasts the, till spring, so that's all right, till break oh, up. Oh, Kathy, do you guys have, um, do you guys have tundra tea? Does that grow where you are? Do you guys make tundra tea? Uh, I... Don't know. I haven't. Probably we do have because we do have river flats and we do have you know you know floodplain kind of thing. By our we're, we're, the Copper River comes down not too far from us. Huge river. Um, so there are river flats and and tundra area like areas, but it's I'm not sure about the tundra tea thing. I, you would know. It was yeah. just like we all used to like make tea out of it, and it's like very good for colds and stuff. And yeah. But yeah, so yes. I mean, that was a really long answer, but it's really <laughs> hard to, like, my whole, like, courtship story with my husband involves all these different things that are all completely not Alaskan, they're Bethel. You would right. only find them in Bethel. He lived in Trailer Park, and Trailer Park was hooked up to water, so he could have a washing machine. Wow, fancy. I used to go over every Sunday and he would let me do a load of laundry at his trailer and we watch X-Files because my TV, a volunteer passed down to me, as they do, and I fixed it with a paperclip so that I could watch X-Files, but I had to sit there and hold the paperclip in place. You know, I mean, like, like, yeah, it's, it's. <laughs> It's just, it's, it, I don't know what it's like now, but 20 years ago, it was, it was like a I, whole I think they have satellite now. You're probably, <laughs> you'd probably be okay. <laughs> they have a pool now. They have an indoor oh. pool. The Custom yeah, Center. I'm, I'm a gog. Yeah. I may have to go back just to see the pool and go, wow. You should. Come on back. I should. Wouldn't that be awesome? That would be way awesome. I'd love to take my daughter there. She's never, she's never been. But anyway, I'm sorry. Like that was like way too long. But in terms, of, yeah. interesting though. But I have feelings about this. Yeah. It is, and, but you're right. It is, and um, when you look at a map of Alaska, uh, it's very, obviously a very sparse population, but it is um, the most accurate map of how different things are is when they 
show the native different native groups. And yeah. that's where a lot of the differences of Anchorage, because it's a, a city, really. I mean, you know, it's in, in my view, it's a city as much of a city, even though it's surrounded by beautiful mountains and water. Um, but it, it's the native group map that really tells the story of who's doing what, where, and the differences between Barrow and Nome and oh, Fairbanks yeah. and Southeast. It, you know, even Southeast is broken up to a certain degree. So, yeah, that's the thing. And, and that is one of the things that folks, to, it took me a long time to um, to wrap my head around too. But yeah, Alaska is not just Alaska. And folks are very particular about the representation of their culture where you are. Um, you know, I was setting stories here, but if I set a different story that I was working on, basically out in Nome. Well, I had to figure out a different set of, um, you know, cultural rules and what their stories were, you know, before I could really go far with that. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. So when you were writing your historical mystery series, um, and by the way, those covers are gorgeous. Oh, I know, right? Oh, my God, they're gorgeous. I was designing, so we have an ad space where I've been doing, you know, recommended books that we've read. Yeah, I saw, thank you. Oh, dude, I had the best time with yours. I was like, I'll just zoom in and look at this part over here. It's like 25 minutes in Photoshop exploring your cover like it was a map. They're gorgeous. Congratulations. Well, thank you. The the gal who designed them, uh, Christine Mills over at Kensington, um, I actually got to meet her last year. That was lovely. And I've been exchanging um, uh, emails and things with the actual artist, James Griffin. And, and I sent him signed books. In fact, I have one ready to go out for the third book. And he sent me signed prints of the covers. Oh, that's so nice. Got, so I need to find nice frames for. But, oh. uh, yeah, everybody, um, I, I've been blessed by the cover gods, really. <laughs> So for all just about you know all of the books that I've I've have out thankfully, uh, but yeah definitely I'm stunned every time I see them I'm like oh my god I'm so lucky thank you cover gods. Yeah. So I have a, I do want to ask you about that series. You, what was your point of entry for writing a historical mystery series? <laughs> what it was the hats wasn't it? It was all the hats. It was all the hat. I love the hat. I don't wear hats. I actually have a uh, cloche hat, but I only wear it when I when don't you know when for special occasions. Um, the entry point for that series. Okay, it's a, it's a little bit of a story. I'll make it quick. So I was, as I said before, I was researching actually for a post-apocalyptic story set here, right, or about fifty miles from here. But I wanted his some historical um, information because. I wanted to see how people lived actually a hundred years ago or so uh, because I figured there were loss of services, loss of, you know, electricity wasn't really a thing, you know, so I'm going kind of going backwards to go forward into the future, if that makes sense. Totally. Absolutely makes sense. Okay. So I was researching uh, things and um, getting some historical uh, perspective on Cordova and I was just, just totally digging, reading about the area. And one day, my husband's on the planning and zoning committee here in town, and he said that um, they were looking at plots of land that the city owned that they could lease or sell. 
and one plot right by the high school, beautiful, you know, not, not huge uh, uh, plot of land, but a nice little plot of land right there in the middle of the neighborhood behind the high school was marked not for sale. And somebody told them at the and they're like, well, why not? It's, you know, be perfect size for a nice little house. And oh, it's a cemetery. And some folks who have been here for 20 years went, really? It's a cemetery? <laughs> So, like, yeah. So we decided one day to go see it because I'm weird that way, and I love walking through cemeteries. That we have now three in town, actually. And um, so I went over there and checked it out, and sure enough, there were some old headstones from the 1920s, 1930s, that kind of thing. And the neighbor was out stacking firewood. He's like, "What are you doing? Why are you walking through the cemetery?" And we explained to him, and he was telling a story uh, about the people who were bu uh, buried there. One was a, a group of, we have a very large Filipino population and have for a long time, uh, almost since the inception of, of town. Um, there was a group of Filipino folks that are buried there in a certain way. And he told the story about a prostitute and her child who were murdered. Um, at least the, the woman was, I don't know if the baby, she was pregnant or had the baby. I'm, I'm not quite sure on that. Uh, in the 1930s, and one of them was buried in that cemetery, and the other was buried in one of the other ones. And just this little light bulb went off in my head and went, huh, dead prostitute. I can work with that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> this, these are things that writers can say that, are, that other are, writers are like, yeah, totally, absolutely. And then you say that at like a potluck, people are like, we need to find another table. <laughs> Nice meeting you. Bye bye. Yeah, exactly. Bye. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, I need but some it's more potatoes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think I see somebody I need to talk to. Bye bye. Um, yeah, but that, that's so that was where it started, and so it was a, a, and I moved it up a little bit in time, or you know, so it's 1919 versus 1930s when this uh, actual event happened, um, and it just kind of took off. Like, well, who would be investigating a, a death in in that time period, I'm like, oh, well, let's bring some, you know, the whole fish out of water thing really is a, one of my favorite, uh, my favorite tropes or characters to deal with. Yeah, so, me too. Yeah. So I, I suck somebody. I was like, all right, so bring, you're on at a frontier town, essentially. Uh, let's bring in somebody who's never been to a place like this. So then it just kind of grew from there. And the, even the second book is based on a, a real life event that happened. Um, there was a, a guy who was uh, in the in the book. It's a guy found after a fire, and they thought, "Oh, he died in the fire." No, he was murdered first, and then they set the fire to cover it up. And that really happened here. So it's kind of brutal in Cordova back in the day. Wow. So has the uh, local community been super into your books? Like, Oh, they have been amazing. That is amazing. so lovely. Amazing. amazing. I mean, I, you know, folks just walking by like, when's your next book coming out? In fact, I just had somebody ask me that this morning. And, mm -hmm. um, oh, when's it coming? When are you going to do a talk? Because I'll do for each of the books so far and for coming up for this third one. One, uh, are you going to do another talk and signing? Because I just chat about the books and I sign books for them and things like that. And but mostly it's talking about the area and talking about what prompt again, what prompted it, um, and just writing in general. And yeah, the community is incredible, incredible, incredible. Um, I could not. I was nervous about writing and actually saying, "Here, this is actually set in Cordova. Like, what are people going to think?" 
Right, because you just got here five, six years ago? Uh, it'll be 10 years. Wow. When I'm a newbie. You're still a newbie at 10 years. It's kind of oh, like yeah, the I South, like, because I went to college in South oh, yeah. Carolina and I learned that you could have been born in Charleston and then at the age of seven minutes moved somewhere else mm-hmm. and then moved back when you were like 98 and died a week later, but you are a Southerner. And that's what your obituary was. I was born in Charleston, lived for many years someplace else and returned. To Char- so yeah, you're yeah. Southern. Yeah. The flip side of that is that Bethel is a very, very transient town. You have a lot of people who come in, white people come in for a job and they work for a while and then they leave. And then you have um, native people who come in from the villages for services to leave or they come in for a job and then they leave. And of course, you have a core group that stays in Bethel and just always lives in Bethel. But there's a lot of people who come in and out, you know. So because I was there for five years geez like <laughs> you know if you if you make it past the one year mark yeah, right yeah. that, then, that then is fall. a big thing yeah mm-hmm. but but yeah like five years people are like five years and i'm like well you know i mean it was a great place to live actually i really i really love bethel it's a really positive place but but it's just designed to be a place where people come and right. go come and go well <laughs> And and I do say you know I'm still we're still kind of a newbie but we're we're definitely integrated more in the society in society uh, you know with the kids going to school of course so my my kids mostly grew up here um, so yeah I think we we are part of the community more than than I sometimes think I you know I don't know everybody's stories which is kind of once you know everybody's stories then you're in yeah but um, but one of the first things they asked us or asked me when we moved here. Now, my husband was here um, a few months before the kids and I moved over because we were finishing up school in Homer, and he started his job a few months earlier. But one of the first things that we were asked when we got here, how long you stay in? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and part of it is, yeah, are you just here? Or we also have a Coast Guard station. So families are here from two to three years, and then they rotate back out again. Yeah. And it was really weird to be asked, though, how long you stay? I'm like, as long as my spouse works, I guess. <laughs> um, if he has a Bethel, job, I'm here. They don't even say how long are you staying. They say, when are you leaving? Oh. Because it's just implied that at some point you're, you're going to leave. And yeah. you say, no, no, I love it. I mean, and then, but another thing in Bethel that's kind of nice is that, like, all the entertainment, all the stuff in Bethel is made by people who live in Bethel, or it was 20 years ago, right? Like, like you know, the joke, well, we make our own fun, right? So exactly. there's a chess club, and there's a community theater, and there's, there's you know, we put on concerts, an amazing number of incredibly talented people in Bethel. Oh, my gosh. And so if you invest in the community, people really value that. There are right. people who go in, they work for a year, they get their paycheck, they build their resume, they're out, and that's all they're there for and they're kind of looked down on but if you show up and you can really contribute to the quality of life there Mm -hmm. that's people really appreciate that yeah yeah and we have the same thing we in fact are we have a community theater group that's been going on for years and years um uh, you talk about making your own fun the second week in february is ice worm week so we celebrate the ice worm. Please tell me that you're carving a worm out of ice. <laughs> Please tell me that that's what you're talking about. No. Oh, God. They're, worms. They're actually real worms. They live in glaciers. 
And actually, my, my nephew came up and visited um, many years ago. He was just, a, you know, like 13, 14, something like that. Um, he came up and one of the, he was part of the science uh, club, not science club, it was a science camp that went out for the week. And they went to, they were glacier hiking and they found ice worms in the glacier. They lived in, just under the ice in the glacier. And the thing is, they dug them out and put them in his hand and they get too hot when you hold them. Because they're used to living in the ice, and the poor little boogers die when when they get overheated. And he, uh, my nephew, actually ate one, and he says it tastes like dirt, which makes sense because you know they're worms. But yeah, there are actually really, really are ice worms. They're very small, and taste like dirt. And but we celebrate the ice worm every February here in Cordova. There's all kinds of activities, and half the people are in the parade, and half the people are watching the parade, and there's a a Why? talent show, variety show, okay. because you make your own fun when it's February in Alaska. <laughs> okay, that's all you have to say. I completely get it. <laughs> like, what should we do? Um, let's do this. And uh, yeah, you can look it up online. Cordova Iceworm Festival. There, um, we there's the baby ice worm, and there's at the end of the parade is the big ice worm, which is a bunch of kids under. Looks like you know the uh, the Chinese dragon thing where everybody's underneath it um, right. during like Chinese New Year. Okay, well ours is a big long blue ice worm that is the best thing i've ever heard <laughs> I, yeah i'm with you that's amazing i just feel so happy to live in a world where people go well it's fe-, like like I, february in bethel was rough like do people get it's really rough moved? you gotta do something in february you're like okay you know what it is spring it is if you're from outside you're like it is time for spring enough enough already but it's not no, not even close. I've had snow. We had a snowpocalypse a few years ago. I don't know. It was on the news. Uh, during the course of the winter, we got uh, 30 feet of snow, which is Good unusual for here. God. It was a lot of snow. National Guard came in, helped shovel roofs, roofs collapsed. It was a ton of freaking snow. The last of the snow did not melt out of my yard. And granted, it was in an actual corner that rarely saw sunshine. Did not melt out of my yard till June. That was a lot of snow. <laughs> I I could went for a period where I could picture living in Bethel forever, but I have to say every single February, the other the rest of the year people would say, "When are you leaving?" And I would say, "I don't have any plans to leave. I like it here. I'm good." Um, but uh, every February, people would say, "When are you leaving?" And I'd say, "Now." I'd say, "I'm going to go." I would say, "I'm going to get a job in Juno," and they would say, "Oh, Annie, sorry, Juno listeners, I'm sorry." They would say. Anybody can live in Juno. Yep. Only, only <laughs> special people can live in Bethel. Anybody can live in Juno. So <laughs> then I would stick it out. And then in March, I'd be like, okay, I guess I can, I, I'm okay. I can. It's okay. February, it's rough. Yeah, it's hard. And, and that's the first thing, you know, I, we've known a lot of people who didn't make it through the winter. And it's because it gets cold, gets dark. Even on a night, I mean, we're, we've been lucky this year. Sometimes the weather, it's just gray all the time oh yeah it's rough on folks when i lived in fairbanks oh that was brutal there oh, was some wow. 
There was th- when you have less than four hours of daylight yeah. and you're missing most of it. I was in uh, college at the time. You know, you're leaving the morn in the morning for an eight o'clock class. It's pitch black. You're running between classes where it's 40 below and you're running as fast as you can and you're getting a glimpse of sunlight. And then by the time you're done with classes at four o'clock, it's pitch black again. It's rough on people. And even with the uh, growing daylight in February, uh, it can be pretty wet and pretty dismal here. And it takes a lot to stick things out. So, yeah, you just got to make your own fun. (laughs) Bethel, everything is still frozen hard. So you start to get some light back and you Mm -hmm. you spend all winter thinking, okay, well, when the light comes back, I'll be okay, right? Well, the light comes back, but the river is still frozen solid. Everything's still frozen solid. You know, it's still like cold, cold, cold. And you think, okay, like, does this end? (laughs) Not so much. Well, it does eventually, of course. But yeah, I eventually. Definitely, that was my hardest month was February. Yeah, it's a tough one. So it, winter in Alaska is basically a lot like writing a book. Yeah. You think, oh, my God, there's <laughs> no daylight. Never it's never – I'm never going to get there. I, there is no – what what light? There's no light here or at the end of the tunnel. I, what did I do? Why did I think yeah. I could do – Yeah. Well, on the other hand, there's a lot to do because everybody frantically makes their own fun so that we don't all just go lie outside and die. And then in the summer, there's there's none of that. And the people, you know, because everybody goes outside, they go to, well, I don't know what they do in Cordova, but in Bethel, they go to fish camp and, you know, they go mostly to fish camp. You that go fish makes camp. me think of a bunch of fish like living in tents and Going making <laughs> bracelets and doing archery. So this has just completely made my day. Thank you, Carrie. <laughs> with people catching fish yeah right. like you you take your boat out to like every family has their own camp where they go during the summer and you fish and you get a year's worth of fish and you because mm-hmm. you buy uh, it dry them and, and smoke them and and preserve them for the winter and eat a bunch of fresh fish and the kids run wild and you go berry picking you know when the berries are in season and you know everything's great um, the mosquitoes are really awful. I, do, I don't know what the mosquitoes are like in Cordova, but cheese, oh my God. Yeah, the, they can the be Bethel bad mosquitoes here. Just awful. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, I'm terrified of spiders, and Bethel has absolutely no spiders because it's too cold. Oh, see, there you go. That was there rad. <laughs> yeah, that was, I was like, safe at last. <laughs> so. Kathy, I have two questions. One, what are you working on right now? And two, do you have any books you want to tell everyone about? What am I working on right now? I am actually working on an old manuscript. Um, revamping it. An old one. Um, do you remember maybe, I don't know, back in the day, American Title? When Dorchester did American Title Contest? Do you, oh, did you ever hear about that? I did indeed, yes. Many, many years ago, uh, this particular manus- manuscript was uh, one of the top 10 in American Title 3, the third year they did it. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I didn't make the, the final, final cut on them, of course, but I figured, you know, top 10, that's pretty darn good. And I I put it away because nobody was doing this story. This is a story about it's a... Uh, Set in Oregon, it's uh, the protagonist is a wildlife biologist, go figure, very far from my my real world. And she's actually trying to solve the murder of her uh, 
journalist friend who's a ghost helping her. So I'm revamping that and working on that and getting it up to date. Because uh, I realized the technology was really like, oh, a flip phone. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> wow, how forward thinking of me. Um, so I was like, okay, yeah, no. <laughs> but I also had to tweak certain things in the... In the uh, in the actual mystery of who killed her. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm working on that right now, and it's kicking my butt for various reasons, but it's fun because I enjoy the, the characters quite a bit. Um, so that's that. I would I would really love to be able to do a few more Charlotte stories. I'm waiting for word on those as well, so this is what I'm doing in the meantime. And a book I'd recommend, or what I'm... Oh, goodness. I just finished reading... Um, don't Speak by J.L. Brown. That was pretty good. It was a political, not political, it was set in D.C., but it was a thriller, serial killer type thing. That was fun. Um, well, I'm reading an old science fiction called Hunting Party by uh, Elizabeth Moon. Because I always go back to I like to read stuff that's not in the genre that I'm writing at the moment. Oh, that's very common. A lot of the time when I talk, yeah. to, when I talk to authors, they'll They'll say, oh, well, I, I don't have any recommendations in my genre. And I'm like, that's totally normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. There's a couple of other sci-fi, some, some lesbian sci-fi. Yes, yes. Hey. I'm still you know, doing those periodically when I remember to jot down plot bunnies. What else am I reading? I don't, I'm a slow reader these days. It's terrible. I really am a terribly slow reader at this point. I used to be able to knock off a book a week at, at minimum. And now it's like, oh, it's taking me forever to get through the story. Why? Because <laughs> I'm old and I get half an hour to read at night and I fall asleep. I will say it is with great delight that I peeked on Amazon while we were talking and realized that this guy who's amazingly talented, who I knew in Bethel, his name is Michael Fabian. And he did an album called Paris on the Cuscoquim, which is hilarious, which is about oh. Bethel. And all these people who live in Bethel are on the album, and you can get it from Amazon. So if you're curious about life in oh, Bethel, yeah. then yes, you definitely want to get this CD, um, which has classics like um, Bethel Cab Driver and um, Paris on the Cuscoquim and Brown Slew Boogie, uh, you know, and Alphabet Soup. You definitely want these. And Water Day. Nice. I, I get some water today. Um yeah, <laughs> I'll have to check that out for sure. Oh, you'll love it, Kathy. You, it's like right up. I think it's right up. You'll you'll love it. And I think as many listeners will be like, what, what, what? Because like with every song, you require like a forty-five minute explanation of why this guy's singing about getting water delivered to his house. But yeah, it's, it's a thing. It's totally a thing. Did he? Yeah, th is there a honey bucket song? There should there should be a honey bucket song on there. There, there, I believe there might be a reference to Honey Bucket. And, and just to be clear, not every house used Honey Bucket. So, like, I was on a, a, um, a system where we had a tank. So you had a flush toilet, but the water went to a tank. It didn't go to a citywide system. And then this sewer truck comes and empties out your tank. And then you have another tank. Yeah. For God's sake, don't mix them up. And the other tank is your water tank, and the water truck delivers your water. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, no, you don't want to mix those guys. Yeah, don't, don't mix those up. 
no, no, no. That's, but that's... but then over at Trailer Park, and I suspect that now that 20 years has passed, Bethel's probably much more um, hooked up because they were making huge strides just when I in the time I lived there. Yeah. But um, uh, when I lived there, Trailer Park was on piped water like you would have in, in a city. You know, that's yeah. why I could go do laundry at my boyfriend, now my husband's trailer, <laughs> trailer park, because he had all the water he wanted. That totally <laughs> sealed the deal for you two, didn't it? Heck yeah, baby. <laughs> you turn on the faucet and water just came out. I love and you. It, no, not just for your water. I I they might marry me. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. It was amazing. See, Sarah, this is, this is not, uh, you know, this is how we, we pick mates here in Alaska. <laughs> That's a hardcore meet like, cute this, there. This was like my version of Pemberley, right? You know, like, like, like. Elizabeth Bennett goes to see Pemberley. She's like, hey, that dude could be marriage material, you know? And I'm like, hey, this guy has a working washing machine and all the water he wants. <laughs> Just to be clear, he has many charms. That put it over the edge, I can tell. That's oh, yeah. That was, well, if nothing else, it gave us a reason to spend every Sunday evening together. And that is all for this week's interview. I want to thank Kathy and Carrie for hanging out with me. And again, I apologize on behalf of my terrible voice. I will have links to all the books we mentioned and some of the things that we talked about, including the Cordova Ice Worm Festival, because I know you want to know more, at the podcast page at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. There are also links to the books that we talked about and most recent episodes at itunes.com slash dbsa. This episode is being brought to you by Kensington Books, who wants you to know about... The Unyielding by Shelley Lawrenston. USA Today and New York Times bestselling author Shelley Lawrenston capitalizes on her trademark humor and kick-ass attitude in The Unyielding, which is the third installment of the Call of Crows series. You might have heard me talk about this series because I love it. It features a band of tough-as-nails female warriors who are resurrected from the dead and the alpha males who aren't afraid to give them a taste of their own medicine. As usatoday.com puts it, Lawrenston has a gift with words and humor. So answer the call. The Sisterhood of Crows is waiting for you in The Unyielding by Shelley Lawrenston. On sale now wherever books are sold and on kensingtonbooks.com. And you can read my review of this book at smartbitchestrashybooks.com. But you knew that. This week's transcript is being brought to you by The Romance Reader's Guide to Life by Sharon Pywell. Chevy Stevens, who's the New York Times best-selling author of Never Let You Go, had the following to say about this book. The Romance Reader's Guide to Life by Sharon Pywell is a fascinating blend of genres that flows together seamlessly, creating the most original story I have read in a long time. Partly narrated from the afterlife, this riveting suspense story manages to be darkly comic at times while dealing with complex family dynamics that can fester for years. The second narrative, an intriguing pirate romance, is deliciously entertaining. But the real love story in this book is the one between the sisters, and their bond cannot be broken in any lifetime. This book is a story within a story within a story. There's a pirate romance, a powerful bond between two sisters, and a world that is determined to hold them back. The Romance Reader's Guide to Life by Sharon Pywell is one of the most original, entertaining, exciting, and chilling novels you will read this year, and it is on sale wherever books are sold. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. This is Caravan Palace. This track is called Ended With The Night. They have a two-album set that includes their album Caravan Palace and their other album Panic. 
and you can find this two album set on Amazon or iTunes wherever you buy their music. I will of course have links to this song and to the album, but you can also find them on Facebook and on their website at caravanpalace.com. I will have links to all of the books and some of the things that we talked about, as I mentioned. And if you would like a sneak peek as to what's up next, I have interviews this month with Faith Saley, Jennifer Lohman, Debbie Maycomer, and, well, a bunch of other people that you'll be really excited to hear from. Plus, I might have some big news next week, so make sure you tune in to next week's episode. Okay? Promise? Promise, promise? Pinky swear? Okay, good. On behalf of Kathy and Carrie and myself and everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend. <laughs>